The only time Jesus ever addressed his father in the Gospels was at the cross as my God. That's the only time. He always addressed his father as father. The only time was at the cross when he took your place and mine and cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried it out publicly so that everyone will know that he has become our sin offering. So that you and I today can say, my father, my father, why have you so blessed me? Let's dive right into the Word of God. And we'll start with a book in the Bible that are still stuck, the pages are still stuck in most people's Bibles. It's the book of Leviticus. You can't have Pastor Joseph Prince teach and not go to the Old Testament. Amen. You know, one of the things they say about grace preachers is that they don't teach from the old. Well, let me tell you this. I teach a lot from the old. I love it. I love to bring Jesus out from the shadows. Amen. So tonight, we're going to start with Leviticus. Are you ready? Look up here, Leviticus chapter 6. Then it shall be. Now, by the way, just let you know, there are five offerings in the book of Leviticus. Chapter 1 of Leviticus talks about the burnt offering, chapter 2, the meal offering, chapter 3, the peace offering, chapter 4, 5, 6, the sin offering, trespass offering. This happens to be the trespass offering. What do you do when you sin? What can you expect when you have done something wrong? Now, Pastor Prince, let me say this categorically. Pastor Joseph Prince, registration number, blah, 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 blah. okay. I am vehemently against sin. All right? But just because you, are, you're, you preach against sin does not, doesn't mean you're going to produce holiness. See, we are all agreed God wants His people to be holy, to be an overcoming people, a victorious bunch of people, the overcomers. Amen? I think where most preachers, now I shouldn't say most now because many of them are revolutionized. Where some preachers differ from me is that how to get there, holiness is there, how to get there from here. They believe it's by the law, I believe it's by grace. Amen? So in Leviticus chapter 6, it says in verse 4, Then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found. In other words, this person who sinned, he has done something wrong. Just ignore the sound, okay? There's always warfare when I'm preaching. Don't worry about it. It's just water of a duck's back. The devil does not want you to hear what you're going to hear tonight. But you're going to hear it anyway. In other words, someone has sinned by either stealing, injuring, robbing someone or what they're supposed to have. Let's see what happened. Or even he swears falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, Everyone say, restore its full value. Say, add one-fifth more to it. And give it to whomever it belongs. All right. Let's forget. The Bible says what he needs to do 
is on the day he brings his, the ram of trespass offering, he needs to restore its full value, whatever he has stolen, whether it's a cow, whether it's chicken, whatever it is, he has to restore its full value, say full value, add one-fifth more, that's 20%. So full value is 100%, 20% more is 120%. And give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. So the man that brings the ram for his trespass offering for things that he has done wrong, whether it's stealing or swearing falsely or he, he promised his friend or someone that he's going to do something and then instead he, he did not do it, he has sworn falsely. The Bible says not only must he bring the ram, he must also bring 120% restitution for what he has done wrong. In other words, if he's stolen from that person, he has to restore 120% more. If he has stolen a cow, he has to restore, restore the full value plus 20% more. Now listen, before you get worried, this is not about you. God put in the trespass offering here, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Because He will take our place on that cross. He will take the place of the injurer. He will restore that which He took not away. Do you have scripture for that? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 69 tells us, it's a messianic psalm, Jesus said, they that hate me without a cause. Notice, they that hate me without a cause was quoted by our Lord in the Last Supper, in John 15, Jesus said this, this happened, Jesus is talking here, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now go back to Psalm 69. So just to show you that this Psalm is a messianic Psalm, Jesus is talking here. And then look at the last line, then I, Jesus, I restored that which I took not away. I restored that which I took not away. In other words, you and I are supposed, we are the injurers. We have injured God's glory. We have robbed Him of praise and worship and of the place due His name. We are the injurers. And not only God is the injured party, but we have wronged men. We have sinned against men. We have injured men. We have lied to them. We have stolen from them. We have stolen what belongs to them. Even emotionally, we can steal the comfort, the emotional well-being from our children. And you say, those days are gone. Pastor Prince, I wish I can turn back the clock. Listen, Jesus can restore that which He took not away. In other words, at the cross, when He hung there, the Lord Jesus took your place and my place. We were the injurers. He took the place of the injurer. He became liable to restore. God designed it to be so that He became liable to restore that which He took not away. And that's the reason why the thief that was crucified, there were two thieves crucified on either side of Jesus. He was in the midst. The Father always sees to it that He's in the midst. When He was 12 years old, He was teaching the, the temple leaders in their midst where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in that. In the book of Revelation, John heard a voice saying, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. He turned around and he saw a lamb. The lamb is the lion. 
and in the midst of the throne, in the midst, he saw a lamb as if he had been slain. Always put Jesus in the center, in the midst of your life. Because Jesus, the Father, makes sure that in these days, and I believe we are the final generation, that the Son will be in the midst. Midst of the house, midst of a family, midst of a marriage. Let me tell you this, science will tell you, they cannot tell you beyond the atom how light repels light. Opposites attract. They can't tell you how come the atom is held together. That's as far as science goes. Well, the force that holds the atom together is found in Colossians chapter 1. In Him, all things are held together. If He's in your life, He will hold you together. He's in your marriage, He will hold your marriage together. He's in your relationships, He's going to hold it together. Let me ask you a question. You all know your Bibles. Of course, New York is the Bible Belt. That's a prophecy, guys. Restoration. The Bible says David had many sons because he had many wives and porcupines. I mean, concubines. <laughs> Do you know how many sons David had? 20. And those are wives from wives, not to mention sons of concubines. They are not mentioned in the Bible. So he has many sons. King David had many sons. Of all the sons he had, which one did God choose to become king after him? Who was his mama? Bath. What's her name again? Bath. It all happened with a bath. He shouldn't be looking, but he did. Now, I'm not minimizing that, okay? Sin is sin. Now, David was a man under the old covenant. So someone says that God disciplined him. God didn't discipline him. He was punished, but he was tempered. He was under law. When Abraham lied, he was never punished because Abraham is not under law. Abraham had righteousness by faith. You and I today cannot expect what happened to David to happen to us. We are not under law. We are where Abraham was. Your children are not going to die because of your sins. Are you listening, people? Now, David's punishment was tempered with a lot of mercy because David knew how to cry out for mercy. Amen. I mean, he's... His wives committed adultery. His sons rebelled against him. It was terrible. But we will never suffer that. I know there are preachers who say, well, you know what happened to David? It's going to happen to you. No, friend. You are not where David was. No wonder David envied a generation of people. In Romans chapter 4, he says, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He wasn't talking about himself. He was a prophet and he saw you and I. He saw a group of people in Barclays that God will not impute sin to them. I said God will not impute sin to them. Does that mean that they are sinless? Well, Pastor Prince, how can you say that? 
God is a holy God. You must say it in that kind of tone, you know. God is a holy God. My friend, He's a thrice holy God. It is precisely because God is holy, He will not impute sin. Why? By the way, shall not impute sin is a double negative in the original Greek. Ume. God will not, certainly not, impute sin to the believer. Why? Because of God's holiness. What do you mean, Pastor Prince? 2,000 years ago, the holiness of God imputed your sins and my sins into the body of His Son. And God unleashed His holy wrath and righteous indignation and punishment and all the curses of the broken law fell upon Jesus. Stroke after stroke, stroke after stroke fell upon His Son until Jesus exhausted all of God's judgment and said, Finished! Now, the holiness of God that punished our sins in the body of Jesus Christ cannot punish you for your sins that He has punished Jesus for. That would be unholy. God's righteousness is now on your side. That which the people feared in the Old Testament because it was against them, is now on their side. Are you listening, people? Just like the night of the Passover when the angel of death saw the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel, the cross. And God says, when I see the blood, He didn't say, when I see your good family name, when I see your church credentials, when I see your title, reverend, very reverend, so reverend. He didn't say that. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, God's holiness stands God in this family because there's been a death. I said, there has been the death. And God's holiness is satisfied. And God, God stands God here and God says, no entry to the angel of death. His holiness is now on their side because of the blood. We've lost the gospel. We've lost the gospel. We still think, well, I'll tell you this. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's the gospel truth. Every sin will be punished. Friend, that is the truth, but it's not the gospel truth. The gospel truth is that every sin has been punished. But in the body of another, so today, God's holiness that imputed our sins to Jesus Christ at the cross, God's holiness cannot impute sin to you. Well, Pastor Prince, I believe this only refers to people who are obedient. You mean that promise, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin, is only for people who are obedient? Amen. Well, pray tell me, if I am obedient, why would God impute sin to me in the first place? I know New Yorkers can think. <laughs> Where is the glory? If God does not impute sin to me because I didn't sin, duh. Why would God impute sin to me when I didn't sin? But, and if I have sinned, and God says, I impute not that sin to you. I will never impute that sin to you. Look at the cross. That's where I imputed your sin. Then, that is the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Where sin increased, Romans 5 tells us, grace superabounds. Look at Romans 5 here, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered. <laughs> you know, you don't hear this in the Bible school. If you ask the question, why did God bring in the Ten Commandments? They'll say, for man to know his holiness, amen. For man to live right, amen. But actually, according to the Bible, the law entered that the offense might abound. So that sin will increase. Huh? Because as long as sin is in man, you know, it's like an inoculation that you receive. You may have a condition in your body. It doesn't manifest, but you still have the condition. But a certain kind of vaccination might bring the thing to the surface. It's something you had all the time. Man did not know he has sinned until he tries to keep the law. And then it comes out in full and in color. So God did not give the... Pastor Joseph Prince did not say this. This is the Bible. The law entered that the offense might abound. But watch this. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In the Greek, where sin abounded is pleonazo. Grace abounded much more is hooper parisio. You know, you understand English, of course. Where sin increased, pleonazo. Grace, hooper parisio. Hooper is the word super. Super abounds. Where sin increased, grace superabounds. Hooper parisio in the Greek. Grace is like the sun. It's an oversized supply. You know, how many know that God made, when God made the sun, He made an oversized supply? Scientists tell us that a lot of the heat and the light of the sun goes, you know, the earth only receives a fraction of the heat in the sun. A lot of it is lost in space. God made an oversized supply. Western increase, grace superabounds. So where is your area that you have fallen? Where, where have you been robbed? Get ready for restoration in that area. I wish someone told me this when I was younger. You know, even though I was a teenager already, I had a problem when I was young. I used to stammer a lot. I can't even put a sentence together. I go like this, and you know the teacher in my school. He was a sadist. Every time he would come in class, and this is this is uh, what do you call it? High school. As a teenager, over here we have the British system down there. We call it secondary school. While I was in secondary school, the same teacher would come in and say, "Stand to your feet, read," just for the sheer fun of seeing me stutter, and the entire class, and it's a mixed school, boys and girls, you know, at the age, the sensitive age, you want to impress the girls. I would just, the annual, annual, annual rainfall in Brazil. He would start laughing, and the whole class starts laughing. Yeah, who is laughing now? The very area. And now I know why God gave me a big one. The very area where the devil tried to rob me from. The very area where sin is coming short of the glory of God. Anything that falls short of the mark is sin. The very area was falling short when God restores. Boy. How he causes my words to fly in the air and impact so many lives. 
What about you? Are you discouraged with a certain area in your life? Well, grace is attracted to human weakness. Grace does not manifest where you are strong. Grace manifests where you are weak. So if you are painfully shy, you don't want to be in public, guess what? <laughs> but don't worry, there'll be more than enough grace for that when God restores. Have you been told you were ugly when you were young? Get ready, y'all. Look at what happened to my friend, Matt Crouch. He's almost good-looking. The restoration is on his way. Of all the sons of David, God chose the very woman that he had adultery with. That doesn't make adultery right. But that's not the point. The point is, the very area he filled. Of all the women, there are virtuous women like Abigail and all that. Not her son, Bathsheba's son, was the one that God chose, where sin increased, grace superabounds. You see, folks, listen. It is because of preaching like this, the Apostle Paul will preach like this, that very few verses after he says, where sin increased, grace superabounds, Chapter 6, verse 1, he had this accusation. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So this is the accusation that the religious folks were leveling against Paul. You know why? Because he preached so strongly where sin increased, grace superabounds. How come this accusation is not leveled against us preachers today? It's because we're not preaching the same gospel Paul preached. If we are preaching the same gospel Paul preached, we will get the same accusation that Paul got. And Paul's answer, is it possible to sin more that grace may abound? No, we, we never said, you know, it's like, I'm going to break my arm. Because they say, a broken bone when it mends is stronger than it was before. You fool! <laughs> Who does that, right? But, if you have broken your bone, here's good news. The much more restoration is coming your way. Amen. That's how Paul preached. But they accused Paul of saying, let us sin more that grace may abound. And what is Paul's answer? Nonetheless, what is his answer to the accusation? How shall we, who died to sin, died, past tense, live any longer therein? It's an impossibility for a believer to live in sin. Listen, I did not say commit sin. I said, live in sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're a believer, you may sin, but you don't live in sin. Just as when you were a sinner, you were not all that bad, right? There were some good things you did. You gave money to the poor. You had compassion at certain times. You were really that bad. <laughs> so, when you were a sinner, you made some excursions into righteousness. But you were always a sinner. Now you're a believer, you're righteous. Sometimes you make some excursions into sin. But you are always living in righteousness. That's your identity. That's how God sees you. God sees you righteous. Now, your behavior is not always righteous. You gotta understanding, you gotta have an understanding of, of standing versus behavior. Your standing in God's eyes is always righteous. 
In fact, Romans 5 tells us, by one man's obedience, we are made righteous. Right? Verse 19. By one man's disobedience, Adam's sin, we are made sinners. So it's not my obedience that made me righteous. It is Jesus' obedience that made me righteous. If I believe that, right believing will produce right living. But it is not my obedience. Are you listening, people? Now, my standing in God's eyes is always righteous. I am righteous because of what Jesus did. God will, not, God will never see you any other than righteous in Christ. In Christ, you are righteous. That's a settled, eternal, complete, and divine truth of how God sees you. Now, your behavior, on the other hand, is not like your standing. Your standing is perfect. Your behavior is imperfect. Your standing is permanent and eternal. Your behavior fluctuates. But your behavior can never touch your standing. Your behavior can touch His glory. It can touch your testimony. It can touch your usefulness. It can touch your peace of mind. But it can never touch your standing. God wants us to measure our behavior by our standing. Never measure your standing by your behavior. You know, the eyes of God, we got to understand how God sees things. God does not see things that are natural and temporal. God does not see the way man sees. When God told Abraham, take your son, your only son. Wait a minute, God. Long before Isaac was born, there was Ishmael. How come God told Abraham, take your son, your only son? Isaac wasn't his only son. But you see, the eyes of God does not recognize what is born of the flesh. He only recognizes what is born of the Spirit. Do you know your position is born of the Spirit? And that's what God sees all the time. No wonder you're confused. Sometimes you don't expect God to bless you and He bless you the most on that day. Come on, come on, let's have some truth in the house. Come on, come on. You had some words with the missus on your way to church. You don't expect the anointing to flow. But boy, the anointing flowed like never before on that day. The day that you were fasting and praying for long hours, it flowed a trickle. But that day you had an argument, it flowed like a mighty river. Oh, that man over there at Barclays is telling us, let us get angry with our wives, let us sin more. Did I say that? Did I say that? Don't put words in my mouth, man. But what I did say is this, God wants you to know it's not about you. We get confused because we are still hankering after self. It's, there's still self-righteousness. The biggest problem in the world today is self-righteousness. People are killing themselves thinking they will obtain righteousness with God. They want to kill you so that they can be right with God. Self-righteousness is the mother of all sins. Because the knowledge of good and evil, pray tell me what's wrong with that tree, is the tree of knowledge of good. And evil is a form of the law. But the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. It wasn't called the tree of sin, y'all. By eating, man wants to be like God, when actually, he's already like God. Self-righteousness. Israel said, in Hebrew, I'm saying in Hebrew because we have a lot of Jewish people, in Brooklyn, in New York, 
in Hebrew is kol asher diber Adonai na'aseh, which means all that God can command us. We can do it, na'aseh. We can do it. Even before God gave the Big Ten, man boasted and presumed on his own righteousness, which he had none. And that's why God gave man the Big Ten, to bring him to the end of himself. The law was given for that purpose. But the very reason that God gave the law for, to bring man to the end of himself, man is using the law to obtain righteousness. And that's why the more you try, the more you fail. Life and in color. Some of you never had the kind of temptations you had after you became a Christian and they taught you the law. Why? Because the, the law was designed, the law is holy, it cannot make you holy. The law is righteous, it cannot make you righteous. Like at this Barclays Center, let's say you're the only one in this auditorium. No one is here, you're the only one. And all the doors are locked. But one particular door, one particular door has this sign, do not peep behind this door. <laughs> Top secret. Authorized by the president himself. And you're the only one in this arena. Are we saying something wrong with that sign? No, nothing wrong with the sign. The sign is okay, the sign is holy. Our flesh needs a sign to be stirred. We need the law to stir it up. Sin, through the commandment, became exceeding sinful, Paul said. Hey, America, instead of fighting to put the Ten Commandments back in public schools, let's get the Gospel, John 3.16, back in public schools. To give our young people the law is like putting wood on fire. Give them the Gospel. Put it emblazoned in gold. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what our young people need to hear. amazing how we have lost the gospel. And all Joseph Prince said, well, you know, he preaches the message of grace. There's no such thing as a message of grace. It is the gospel of grace, y'all. I'm like King Josiah, whose priest, the 18-year-old king of Judah, King Josiah, during his reign, and he was a righteous king, during his reign, they found the book of the law of the Lord that was lost. I'm just like finding the gospel in the dust, and I'm dusting it. And it sounds strange to many a years, but I'm telling you, it's the same gospel. Paul calls it the gospel in, in Acts 20. By the way, have you heard of it? Well, we got to preach the whole counsel of God. We got to preach the whole counsel of God. You know where that, that reference is taken from? Acts 20. Paul, in his final farewell address to the leaders of Ephesians, said this, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Amen, Pastor Prince. That's what we must do, not just grace. Listen, my friend, 
five verses before that, or three verses before that, Paul says, God has sent me to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. The whole council is actually, he's telling the leaders of the church, don't just, many of them were Jewish converts. How many understand that? In the early church, many of them were Jewish proselytes. They, they were converted from Judaism. Many of them were Jews in the early church. Paul is telling them, don't just preach the Old Testament. Don't, don't, don't preach just from the law. Listen, preach the whole counsel of God. And three verses before that, the context tells us the whole counsel is to preach the grace of God. Five verses after he talks about the whole council, he says, now I commend you to God. Paul says, now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. What is the whole counsel of God? Is to preach grace, not just stay in the Old Testament. Are you all with me so far? It's amazing. Even preaching about the Holy Spirit, for example, we say that the Holy Spirit is so sensitive that if you chew gum in the service, that's it, it's gone. It's amazing when Jesus preached by the shores of Galilee, babies were crying, hawkers were hawking, demon-possessed people were screaming, the disciples were oozing B.O. And the anointing flowed, and how? But we gotta, shh, shh. Someone just chewed gum. I'm sorry, I cannot function anymore. You know what my Bible says? He will, the Holy Spirit, He will abide with you forever. You know how long is forever? Forever. I want to tell you a very beautiful, when God first revealed this to me, it so touched my heart. I couldn't recover for a few days. I read the vision of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet who prophesied after Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And time and time again, Jeremiah, Ezekiel was prophesying to Israel, do not commit idolatry. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one that delivered you. But they exchanged gods. And you know something? Ezekiel had a vision of the Shekinah glory, the presence of the Holy Spirit, leading the temple. You know, if you go back home, you read Ezekiel 10 and 11. You have that vision. First of all, he saw the glory of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, over the temple, over the Holy of Holies, the threshold of the temple. Ever so slow, even in leaving. Almost reluctant to leave. Let me show you a picture of the Temple Mount. Then you have the Dome of the Rock is where the Temple of Solomon used to be. So, Ezekiel had a vision. The Shekinah glory was above the threshold of the Temple as if reluctant to leave. And then ever so slowly, it moved from the threshold to the Eastern Gate. Can you see the Eastern Gate, that seal? And it lingered there, almost like saying, do I have to leave? And then, where this picture is taken from, from one of my guys, we are standing on the Mount of Olives opposite the Temple Mount. And then Ezekiel saw, ever so slowly, the Shekinah glory of God went opposite to the Mount of Olives. And again, almost like 
reluctant to leave. Lingering, lingering, almost like, would you have me? And then finally, disappeared. That's how the Holy Spirit left in the Old Testament. But today, He abides with us forever. Now listen, listen, don't clap yet. You're taking my time, listen. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, He came like a rushing, mighty wind. It's almost like I've been waiting, rushing people, rushing to fill the disciples up. We have it backwards. We have it backwards. It's almost like we had tearing meetings where we call for the Holy Spirit, God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. We, we pray all night long as if He's reluctant. And our little five-year-old is looking at us like God is so reluctant. <laughs> My Bible says the opposite. When the time came for Him to leave, and that's in the Old Testament when He, he would leave, David would pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, He comes and He leaves. But in the New Testament, He doesn't leave. He abides with us forever. And even when He left in the Old Testament, He left reluctantly. But when He came, He came rushing. We have lost the gospel, people. Pastors and leaders, rediscover the gospel. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Holy Spirit, amen, because the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. Do you really need conviction of sin? You know when you sin. <laughs> your mama tells you. Your wife tells you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell you what, the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. Well, blasphemy, how can you say that? When you sin, you have sinned. Listen, this is what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, John 16, look up here. Nevertheless, this is in the, in the upper room after the Last Supper. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage I go away. If I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. If I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he is come, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Amen, Pastor Prince. That's it, that's it. You see Jesus saying, he convicts the world of sin. Amen. And judgment. Amen. I'm so glad Jesus never left it there. Jesus went on to the next verse because he knew these people, these blokes will be there in the future. He knew that such religious folks is going to twist his words. I'm so glad he's, he gave us a commentary. Next verse. Of sin, because they do not believe on me. There's only one sin the Holy Spirit convicts us of. And we have all, we believers have been convicted of that sin and that's why we put our trust in Christ. He convicts the world of only one sin. All the things that they are doing right now is not the sin He's going to convict them of. He convicts the world of sin, singular. Because they, third party, third person, they, not you, believers. He's talking to the believers and He said He will convict the world of sin because they, third party, Third personal pronoun. Third person. Alright? Next verse. 
of righteousness because I go to my Father and you, now he's talking to the disciples, he convicts you of righteousness. Second, second person now, you see me no more. Because in times past, when Jesus was with them and, and John would look at a, at a girl for too long, he, he catches Jesus looking at him and Jesus looks at him and smiles. He knows everything is all right. Right? He knows everything is still cool with him and Jesus. But I go to my Father and you see me no more. But the Holy Spirit convicts you. You are still righteous. Don't look at me. It's in the Bible. This is what Jesus said. And notice that you is not they. It's not referring to the world. He doesn't convict the world of righteousness. He convicts the world of one sin, unbelief in Him. But to the believer, He convicts you of righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You see me no more. Second person. When was the last time you heard this preach? People, when you fail, that voice on the inside telling you, you are still the righteousness of God. Come boldly to me. I will still hear your prayer. I will still bless you. When was the last time you heard this preach in the church of Jesus Christ? You hear things like, you know, things were going so bad for me and then the Holy Spirit convicted me. I have done this wrong. I have done that wrong. And I confess all my sins. And then all of a sudden, I felt better. Yeah, the same way a drug addict would feel good. He got another fix. Let me tell you this. Have you heard a sermon saying, well, I felt so down, so depressed. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me, you are the, still the righteousness of God. And I'm telling you, listen, this is from my book, Des Not Destined to Rain, my latest book, Grace Revolution. <laughs> it's a good book, by the way. What I taught you tonight is from the book, all right? Restoration and much more. Almost every chapter has the testimony of real people applying these truths in their life. Almost every chapter. Here's one. Praise the Lord, I have been free of a drug addiction that I have struggled with for most of my adult life. For the last two years, I've been listening to Pastor Prince preach via television and podcasts. Because of what I've learned through his messages, I would say out loud, I am the righteousness of God in Christ during the very moments of my drug abuse. During the very moments. It seemed a ridiculous thing to say while in the process of sinning, yet it had an enormous impact on my behavior. As I repeatedly confess, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, the desire to use the drug became less and less until it finally left completely. Today, today I no longer struggle. Listen, pastors and leaders who come against grace and saying that this grace people, you know, they are saying you can do whatever you want. We have never said that. At least the folks I know never said that. Look at, look at the result. Since you came against grace, where are your testimonies? And I'll show you mine. Ever since I got rid of grace in my life, this wonderful thing happened to me. Never. Today, listen pastors and leaders, I no longer struggle with the addiction. Praise God. Pastor Prince has helped me to see my real identity in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And this has caused me to live right. I now feed on God's Word and pray in the Spirit more than before. Thank you for your teaching, Pastor Prince. Hallelujah, church! 
Well, Pastor Prince, what about holiness? If you believe you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, listen to preachings again and again, more and more on this. Righteousness is the root. Holiness is the fruit. Don't worry about holiness. You'll be holy by accident. Almost by accident. Amen. Well, Pastor Prince, we got to preach on Jesus' anger. Jesus was angry. You guys don't preach on anger. Show me a passage where Jesus was angry. Well, when he overthrew the money changers' table, does it say in the Bible he was angry? Well, I assume he, you assume. You assume he was angry. You know you can do a cool thing like that without being angry? You're a man of power and authority. He's a father's house. He overthrew it. Now, I believe he was angry, but the, whole, the Bible does not record that he was angry. It just tells us the incident without mentioning he was angry. But there is one place in the, new, in the Gospels that says he was angry. The Holy Spirit saw fit. The only place in the Gospels that says he was angry. Would you like to see it? Mark 3. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, the Pharisees did, whether he would heal. Now, this is crazy, man. This is crazy. They did not watch him closely to, say, to see whether he could heal. They watched him closely because they knew he heals. They wanted to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. How sick. They watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, I love Jesus, don't you think so? He's so cool. He knew what they were thinking. He says, step forward. I'm going to heal you publicly right under their nose. I love it. Take that, man. Any resemblance to a Pharisee is just purely coincidental. Jesus said to the man, step forward. He stepped forward. Now watch this, watch this. Next verse. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand. His hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and they rejoiced that one of their members got healed. I tell you, self-righteousness is, is evil. One of their own in the synagogue got healed. Now they have an extra usher. They can greet with his hand that's now restored. But now they, they went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus how they might destroy him. This is the only place the Holy Spirit saw fit to mention the word Jesus was angry and he was grieved. What angers him back then? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is he angry with? Lack of grace. What's he grieved with? Lack of grace in the church. Back then, he was in the synagogue. What makes him angry back then angers him still 
today. What grieves him back then, grieves him today. Well, well, the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Pastor Prince, have you read that before? Yeah, I've read that. Have you read the verse before that? Well, 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 what do you mean? Well, in English, no one starts a sentence with and. A-N-D, and is a conjunction. Look at what Ephesians 4 says, and grieve not, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't start a sentence with and. That means you must read the preceding verse. Come on. What does it say in the preceding verse? What grieves the Holy Spirit? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart it may impart it may impart grace to the hearers. In other words, if you look at someone and you think that they are ugly, you still say, you know what? I see the glory of God on you. Your words are imparting undeserved, unearned favor. You come home and your husband is drinking and he refuses to go to church. He refuses the things of God, refuses to read my book. You look at him and you say, hi there, men of God. Well, I will, not say, I will not do a thing like that. Blasphemy, Pastor Prince. Sacrilegious. How can you even suggest that? Well, you know what? You see, my husband doesn't deserve it. Your words must impart grace. What is grace? Unearned, undeserved favor. We always think that this verse refers to profanities and vulgarities. Now, I'm against profanity. I'm against vulgarities. But this is not what the verse is talking about. This verse is saying, if your words don't minister grace, you grieve the Holy Spirit. But... It, by the same token, if you speak words of grace, guess what? The Holy Spirit, you can almost feel Him jumping up and down. Just like tonight, you can feel the Spirit of God saying, Amen. You see, friends, listen, many a times people who listen to me preach, it is not that they get a new revelation. No way. I'll be, I'll be the first one to be so afraid if you get a new revelation. But it's this. Many a times your hate doesn't, don't understand. Your hate thinks it's new, but your heart is saying, I knew that this is a God that I've been looking for. I knew this. I knew this here. My head thinks it's new. My heart says it's not new. It's the ancient gospel. That's the only place, pastors and leaders, I challenge you to look up the Gospels. There's no other place. We assume he was angry, and I believe he was angry when he overturned the money changers' table, but the Spirit of God never recorded he was angry. Only in this place you find He's angry. Lack of grace. You know, uh, early this year, I was in Israel. And I was preaching among the ruins for television. I was preaching among the ruins of Chorazin, one of the cities that Jesus preached in. The Bible says Jesus preached in all the synagogues of Galilee. And Chorazin was one of the places he preached in. And today, Chorazin and Capernaum, Capernaum, it's called the town of Jesus. Now, he grew up in Nazareth. He's called Jesus of Nazareth. That's the town he grew up in. But Capernaum, by the Sea of Galilee, you still can visit Capernaum. Now, I was preaching there early this year. I was preaching among the ruins of Chorazin, and I was preaching on the woes of Jesus. Yeah, believe me, I preach from Leviticus. This great preacher preaches from Leviticus, preaches from woe, the woes of Jesus. You know the woes? There are seven woes. W-O-E, not woe, woe. Jesus pronounced woes on some cities. And I was preaching on the woes, and all of a sudden, 
I came to Capernaum. He pronounced a woe upon the city of Capernaum for rejecting him when he has done so much amongst them. He said this, Woe to you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven. The town of Capernaum saw miracles like no other town. He was there with them. They were the ones that saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They were the ones that saw the centurion servant healed. A woman came behind Jesus and touched the hem of his garment and got healed. All that happened in Capernaum. Capernaum was blessed, favored to have the presence of the Son of God in their midst, healing, restoring, mending, lifting, encouraging, raising from the dead. And he says, you are exalted to heaven, but they ended up rejecting him. And you'll be brought down to Hades, to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, I pray that you have years to hear. If the mighty works that were done in you, Capernaum, was done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained to this day. I understand the moral issues of your day in America today. I understand. But listen to what I'm saying. What, if I read what Jesus is saying here, when I got the revelation, I had to stop. I said, guys, time out. I had to walk around. It was, the light was too bright for me. If I read what Jesus is saying, he's saying their sin of rejecting him, grace, was a greater sin than the sin of Sodom. Because if the, might, the mighty works is the miracles, the word there in Greek is dunamis. If the miraculous power and miracles were done in, that was done in you, Capernaum was done in Sodom back then, Sodom would have remained. That means Sodom would have repented. Not only that, do you realize the Lord is giving us the key to reach out to these precious people? What is the key? If the mighty works, not just preaching, mighty works. We ought to go to them and say, look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to preach to you. I just want to ask you, do you have any prayer requests? I serve a prayer, miracle, working God, a prayer answering God. Any requests? The stories I can tell you. And God loves to work among these precious people. He that have ears to hear, let him hear. That was free. That was free. It's a fresh revelation. Well, Pastor Prince, what do you think about America? America is under judgment. Let me tell you this, okay, about America. America has sent more gospel missionaries out than any other nation of the earth. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Even when God was on His way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, God wanted to be interceded. God wanted them to be prayed for. God wanted someone to stand and, and plead for them. And God found the man. His name was Abraham. And Abraham said to God, God, if you find 50 righteous in Sodom, will you destroy? God says, for 50 righteous, I will not destroy. How about 40? For 40, I will not destroy. How about 30? For 30, I will not destroy. All the way down to 10. God, if you find 10 righteous, Will you destroy the city? God says, if I find 10 righteous, 
I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, don't tell me there are not even 10 righteous in America. Something is wrong when terrorists are tuning into our programs and they hear preachers saying, God is judging America. And they are saying, that's what I'm trying to say. And he is using me. We're on the same page, yo. Well, Pastor Prince, how do you explain the things that are happening? Consequences of bad actions. Bad actions has consequences. Even the earth will groan against our bad actions. The earth suffers. The whole creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. Even Jesus, when he read in his hometown, Nazareth, they asked him to read the scroll of Isaiah. I'm bringing this to a close. This is the last portion here. He read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to heal the broken heart, to set the captives free, to preach liberty to the captives. And then He came to this, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you go to Isaiah 61, where this passage is taken from, it says, to preach the acceptable, the year of favor. Taya, a Greek scholar, says, the year where His free favors are abounding profusely. Then, in the original, in Isaiah where Jesus was quoting this from, it says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, the day of vengeance of our God. Right after the preach the acceptable year of the Lord, there's a comma in Isaiah. It says the day of vengeance, but Jesus closed the book because He didn't come. And this acceptable year of the Lord, where His free favors are profusely abounding, has lasted for 2,000 years because God is not willing that any should perish. And my friend, there'll be a day of vengeance, but it's not upon us yet. And where Jesus, pastors and leaders, where Jesus closed the book, we must close the book. And I'm not saying there's no day of vengeance coming. There'll be a day of vengeance when He'll set this earth right. And there'll be a king to rule on this earth. And this king, His kindness knows no measure. His humility is amazing. He's altogether lovely. And the scepter that He holds in His hand is a scepter of righteousness. No more suffering. No, no need for hospitals when this king rules. When He comes back, He will judge the earth and we will return with Him. Listen, church. Oh, you're one of those that believe the rapture. Yes, I am. Guilty. Amen. Make no mistake about it. The rapture is real. You can tune into YouTube and I have a sermon, a whole sermon on that, okay? There'll be a day of vengeance. But he's, He came to preach the acceptable year. I mean, no year is longer than day. Just like the Bible says, for God's people, he that will love life and see many good days. Plural. When it comes to evil day, stand therefore in the evil day. Good days. Evil day. 
I love it. Your evil day is short. Your good days in front of you are plentiful. Give him praise, come on. You know, friend, the only time Jesus ever addressed his father in the Gospels was at the cross as my God. That's the only time. He always addressed his father as father. The only time was at the cross when he took your place and mine and cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried it out publicly so that everyone will know that he has become our sin offering. So that you and I today can say, my father, my father, why have you so blessed me? Amen. Friend, I do not know how you came here tonight. In a while, so I'm going to pray for restoration and I'm going to send you off. You've been an amazing church. Amen. And I want to pray for you for restoration. But before that, if you are here and you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, believe that He died on the cross in your place as your sin offering and the holiness and the righteousness of God is fully satisfied and God designed it so. God is the one that sent His Son. God so loved you. I love that little word of intensity. He didn't just love you. God so loved you. He so loved the world. He sent His Son. And friend, all question about sin has been settled at the cross. The blood of Jesus has fully met all the divine requirements of God upon you and your family. You can rest now and put your trust in Christ. Become a child of God tonight. Amen. Pray this prayer with me. You say, Pastor Prince, help me pray. I'm going to help you pray right now. Say, Father in heaven, I believe you love me and that you sent Christ to die for my sins. He took my judgment and he died in my place. And I thank you. You raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, now and forever. I am completely forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future. I'm greatly blessed, highly favored, and deeply loved in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray the prayer, you are now a child of God. You are a brand new creation. You are now under grace, and God sees you eternally righteous in Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord.